Welcome to My Mission as Podcast. I'm Karina Givargasov, the founder of Mission Magazine, which is the first fashion philanthropic interactive media brand. Our tagline is for fashion, for beauty, for good. And I'm sharing our next podcast with you. If you are new to these, I generally do them with a dear friend of mine, Charlene Spiteri. She's the singer-songwriter from the band Texas. And we try to bring you educational, fun podcasts with honest storytelling. And on the end of the last podcast, we were going to introduce you to the amazing Noel Fitzpatrick. That was supposed to be up next, but we had a slight shift in schedule from his amazing episode because last Thursday, we ended up doing a live podcast in New York City. Our mission had the privilege to be a media partner to the store COS, C-O-S. We did a panel discussion around sustainability. And we also got to introduce a new small capsule collection of 800 pieces that they're test piloting across a couple of their stores. And the collection's called Restore. We had some great guests who sat down with me. I moderated the discussion. You'll hear who they are when you hear the start of the podcast. I'm not going to ruin it and repeat it here. But you know it's great to talk about sustainability, to do good, try to respect Mother Earth. But I was quite ignorant, actually, on so many facts. So it was really educational for me to understand. Um, Silly, obvious things like 20% of waste from pattern cutting, which is left on the floor, that can be used. You can change your patterns by trying to eliminate this 20%. Um, And also I learned the purer the fibre, the stronger the garment is, which holds up to more washes, which guess what? Makes the garment more sustainable. Again, when I was told this, it's really obvious, but I didn't realise. Once you know, then you know. So please do have a listen. I found it really inspiring and actually has made me start to think certain ways of how I treat my clothing and how I shop. So that for me was a win-win. So I hope you get to listen and enjoy it as well. Thanks again for listening. Take care. Bye. Thank you for coming on a rainy, crappy New York evening. Tonight we're here to talk about COS and their new collection that they've done. It's something new they're trying. It's called COS Restore. It's in partnership with the Renewal Workshop. And they've kind of asked us three ladies to be part of this conversation about sustainability. And I'm going to introduce you to the three ladies that are here, and then I'll tell you who I am. And on the far end, we have Nepal Stewart, who is from COS. Um, she's been appointed head of sustainability. She's been with the company. I'm, I'm going to get this wrong, I think. I might have, Since 2003? So 18 years yes. in fashion? Yes. Yeah. No, see, I remembered our conversation yeah. on Friday because I've written it down wrong here. So that was lucky. Bells with cost. Yes. No, yeah. well done, well done. And <laughs> she really is the expert on sustainability. And we had a conference call last Friday. And to me, it was very educational. I'm like you guys. I'm actually a very loyal COS customer. So I learned a lot. Then next to her, we have Abrima Oya, who founded Studio 189. It's an artisan-produced lifestyle brand that is based, well, you're based between Africa and here. They recently won the prestigious CFDA Lexus Fashion Award uh, for Initiative for Sustainability. And the brand is made in Africa and produces African and African-inspired content and clothing. And it focuses on empowerment, creating jobs, and supporting educational and skills training. It's very cool. Abrima and I met at a summit a couple of months ago and kind of bonded sisterly love. Um, <laughs> and she also just has taken on using her knowledge and expertise to teach at Parsons as well, which is great. I think that's always good to give back. And then next up we have Marie Genevieve Sear, who 
who is an assistant professor of fashion design at Parsons School of Design and an international speaker and creative consultant from Quebec. She also has an MA in visual culture and fashion theory from New York University and a BA in design and applied arts from the Edinburgh College of Arts and a degree in fashion design. I'm getting this right on. I love education. It's brilliant. No, it's brilliant. That's why you're here, to educate us. And a degree in fashion design from the college Marie Victorin. Yeah. Did I do okay yeah, on that? Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm Karina. I'm the founder of Mission Magazine, which is the brown envelope thing that you guys have on your lap and hopefully are not sitting on. Um, it's the first ever fashion philanthropic media brand. It's a public charity out of New York City. And we're trying to be really disruptive and guerrilla in our approach to fashion, philanthropy, publishing, um, and giving the underdog a voice. And sustainability is something we try to cover in every issue. It's something that I don't know enough about, which is why I'm excited to have this evening's conversation. And I hope you guys learn a lot. I did when I had the call with three of these ladies last week. So we're going to kick off with some questions with these ladies to answer. And then we're going to have a general discussion, the four of us, and then we're going to open up to anyone who has any questions. So I'm going to actually, the problem let's start with leave you to last. Because you're very factual and it's, it's relating back then to the collection, I think will be great to do that. So I'm going to start with you, Abrima. See, I caught you off guard there, didn't I? <laughs> Paying attention, funny. love. Okay. I've got a cool 10 minutes. Yeah, you thought you were coasting a bit, didn't you? No, no, no. I'm going to, I'm going to mix it up. It's like Russian roulette. Okay. So your business works closely with African artisans that celebrate traditional crafts like indigo dyeing, weaving, and batik. Why do you think craftsmanship is important to sustainability? Excellent question. To explain that, I'm going to explain what we do at Studio mm. 189 and who I am. So I'm a, a Brima, born and raised New Yorker. Yes. Um, my mom is American from Mississippi. My father is from Ghana in West Africa and Ivory Coast. And I worked for various luxury companies, mostly European. The last one is Bottega Veneta as part of the Gucci group. And something that I always really loved was the commitment to craftsmanship, uh, techniques passed down from generation to generation, the pursuit of excellence, quality, and all of these different things. And when I would go visit second, third generation artisans and the work that I was doing in Italy, I would see incredible artisans that the country valued with dignity and grace, and they could send their kids to school and feed their children. And it was really just beautiful to watch that. But then I would go to my country and other developing economies and see so many incredible people doing incredible handwork, but it was difficult to access market, it was difficult to do capacity building, it was difficult to even be seen. And you know, I was trying to figure out what I could do, and then I started doing charity work, and um, it wasn't enough, you know, I felt like it wasn't enough. And uh, a lot of times, the clothing, when it was in that type of area, wasn't like stuff you really wanted to necessarily wear, it was stuff you were buying it because you felt sorry for somebody. And then I discovered social enterprise, you know, mm -hmm. that you could actually do the two things together. And my um, current business partner, uh, her name is Rosario Dawson, sits on the board of V-Day, which is Eve Ensler's organization dedicated to stopping violence against women and rape. And she invited me to the Congo, to the Democratic Republic of the Congo, for something called the City of Joy, which is a leadership center for women who had been the victim of rape and sexual violence. The point of that story is to say, you know, it was really difficult to get there, but when we got there, we met incredible women that were doing incredible handwork, craft work. 
and they would take the money and they would invest in agriculture and they would feed their kids and send their kids to school and it just became so clear to us that it wasn't our role to come in saying, oh, I have this great idea, I'm gonna go fix this problem. But instead, it's that communities all over the world in marginalized communities were doing this work. Women are doing this work. Whether you're gonna support them or not, they're still gonna do this work. And how can we be there and work together as collaborators instead of going there thinking, you know, it's kind of this us and them barrier. And so I got very curious about this. And, you know, fast forward, we just figured, you know, can we use our network and can we use our experiences to create opportunities for others as others have done for us? I'm just gonna skip because I know we, I, my answer's too long, but um, the following year in 2013, Eve Insler said, one in three women will be raped and sexually violated in her lifetime, and she asked for a billion people to take a stance against sexual violence. And what we said is that so many people come into their own through their crafts and through fashion and creativity. So imagine if we created a world where we could empower people and ourselves included, mm -hmm. and focus on the beauty of their work instead of focusing always on the sad story and the sad, you know, this kind of narrative that you always hear coming out of Africa. And so that's what we did. And so that's when we started to say fashion can rise and we can come together. And every time, you know, as a consumer, you vote, you make a choice of what kind of world you want to live in. And we set out, I moved back to Ghana, and I started very slowly, bottom up, to build a value chain working with people along the chain from you know, farmers to weavers to all the different steps, making a factory in Accra. And why do I think craft is so important? Because so many women work in that sector. They're the foundation of society. It creates so much economic value for people. It allows you to live with dignity in the work you're doing. I mean, there's just so much to yes. craft. And um, I think that fundamental to understanding where our things come from, how they're produced, and also designing for impact for the future is going all the way back to the source sure. and that comes from the farmers, the weavers, how you dye your clothes, making sure that you're not putting toxins in your, you know, in your dyes and it's not impacting communities, you're not drinking that water or eating the food that's coming yeah. from that water. And it all to me starts when you go back to yeah. the source and that's understanding how our clothes are made and that's why craft is important. I'm actually gonna not pay so much attention to what I said earlier about an order because it makes me then lead into a question to you about why is craftsmanship important to creating a sustainable brand? I think that leads on from what Abrima I mean, first was... of all, so inspiring to hear that. Thank you. Mm. Um, I think from, uh, from our point of view, the reason why craftsmanship is so important, it's not to create just a sustainable brand, mm -hmm. but it's, it's important to create for a brand that wants to be here in the future and that wants to create something that lasts for a long time. And if you call that sustainable, that's great. Yes. I think it is. Yes. But there's not a verification that says by using craftsmanship, you, you get a stamp for being sustainable. But it's the craftsmanship that allows for our designs to be there time and time again, season after season. So it's the skill set of those that manufacture our garments. And it's the technology, the machinery, the finishing, the washing. It lies in all of those million small details that then creates that perfect garment. So. It's really important to work with people that know what they do. Well, you said actually something on the call last week, which I'd, I'd love you to repeat to the mm. audience here, about a pattern cutting. Yes. And because I'm not... I'm, do we have any pattern cutters here? And then we'll we have go on to Marie Genevieve as well after you answer the question, yeah. because I'm not a designer. So I, I found it great and educational. It's something that, as a customer and someone in a different profession, wouldn't even consider um, how pattern cutting actually does affect certain waste. I mean, pattern cutting is everything to a brand. Uh, and I think that not a lot of people know that uh, 
it's through the pattern cutting that you get that perfect fit, that you get that feeling that sometimes you can't put a name on while you love wearing something. It's in the shoulders, it's in that surprise detail. But if we talk about sustainability aspect of pattern cutting, just by moving a seam, you can save centimeters on that cloth. So technically, it's called efficiency rate. That maybe doesn't sound so sexy, but if you know pattern cutting, then that means that by clever pattern cutting, you don't compromise on the fit or functionality, but you can optimize that cloth. And at COS, we put a lot of focus on that cloth, the fiber. We are complete material nerds. So we spend a lot of money on our material. That's probably where the biggest part of our costing comes from. So it makes sense to us that we wouldn't let it go to waste mm -mm. because it's so beautiful and it's there, right? So uh, our pattern cutters um, are amazing. I love them. They're so creative. Uh, they're like 3D humans. They, they see something that the designers have drawn and then they create this pattern from it. And again, if you work in fashion, you probably will know that most brands, they outsource some of their pattern cutting because it's quicker mm -hmm. uh, and it's maybe cheaper but we would never do that. So we put a lot of focus on that pattern cutting. Right, right. And actually that ties in nicely with Mary Genevieve, who's at Parsons. The internet and its impact on fashion is quite a strong focus on your work. Yeah. So how do you think the internet has changed design practice? Well, yeah, Every, internet is everything. We all live mm -hmm. with it. You know, we're all citizens of the internet somehow as well. But my research mainly look at post-internet artistic strategies and how it influences um, research and design processes. So that's more what I'm focusing on. So not necessarily the way we, um, we, we project images and somehow, but how it's actually changing our physical world and the ways we're designing. So I'm looking, for example, at the idea of uh, multiplicity, the idea of circulation or image consumption and how it's affecting as well as spectatorship, performances as well, that we are all performing online as well. Um, and this has been uh, a big part of my research since like a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and I do a lot of workshops actually. Next week I'm going to Amsterdam to give another workshop with MA students there to really look at how can we create new um, kind of creative, use critical thinking yes. in terms of creating new perspective on fashion and its influence with the internet, etc. So looking as well as at accessibility as well. Um, so not just superficial things from the internet, but really looking at how race, gender, age, sexuality, all these kind of themes are playing online and how it's affecting uh, physically as well, how we're making things and designing as well. You mentioned the word circu circu circularity. circularity, which I'm gonna ask the poor about because I don't know as, again, like a course customer or just a general customer, it's a term that you guys, it's industry term that I don't fully understand, and that was such a great education I got from you. And if you could just explain it, yeah. again to me, and maybe to people who don't know what it means. And you also mentioned a considered approach yes. at COS. So if you could just enlighten so if us. if I start with circularity, I think, I mean, you could, we could write theses about circularity and the circular economy, but to keep it short in its essence, the circular economy is about decoupling growth from the use of resources. Uh, so we go from a linear economy with take, make, and dispose to a circular economy of take, make, and keep it in there for longer and have no waste, basically. And if you think about it, it makes so much sense, right? Mm -hmm. If you would start your own label or brand, you wouldn't have any waste because that's you know, throwing money out of the bank. So um, the circular economy, although it's a new way, it actually goes back to like 
how I think people lived back in the olden days. Right. You know, right. nose to tail approach. You use everything you have. Uh, you use your skill set. Mm -hmm. So, uh, if I talk specifically about cost, for us, we're looking at how can we uh, apply the principles of circularity through our whole value chain. Right. And we're not there yet, uh, but we're working on it. And uh, yeah, it's a really interesting process and journey. Abrima, then that brings me to you. You won the CFDA Lexus Fashion Initiative for Sustainability. How has this award allowed you to advance the sustainable goals? Or what is your goal towards yeah. sustainability? You know, and I'm also thinking about your last question too. When we set out to do what we were doing, you know, sustainability, ethical fashion, circularity, it's not even, it wasn't about the, I mean, I know we fit into it, but mm -hmm. it, it wasn't really about that. I think a lot of it was about making it more human. You know, I think, mm -hmm. um, we, and this is also tied to the question about sustainability and circularity, I, when I was said when I would go back to Ghana, for, like I see young women selling something or girls selling their bodies for school books and I think, you know, I could have been you like this. Mm -hmm. You know, like what's the difference between me and someone else? It was access to opportunities and access to education and to network and people who are willing to support me and help me advance. And I think Rosario also realizes, like, what if she wasn't sitting on that stoop that day? You know, would she have ever been put in a film? Do you know this kind of realization, this self-realization, and what role do we play within the context of a greater society, within each other? You know, like, where does my stuff come from? <laughs> you know, and like, if you come in with that mindset, I think when you go to a factory, like our factory, for example, you start to want to know the stories of these people. They're your friends. They're your, you know, they're your people. You know, you want to know everybody's names. You want to know their children. You're a part of their lives. You know, and I think that I was again thinking about your your former your first question. But to me, when it comes to craft, like it's about making it really more human. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what we're doing is we're trying to connect the the story and the work between the people who make things and the people who buy things. Because in the current fashion system, there's so many layers in between those people that are producing and those people that are purchasing. And so many people, I think, don't understand the impact of what their role is placing in the clothes that they buy. Right. You know, and that's what the CFDA also helped right. me right. uncover, you know, the fact that fashion is the number two polluter in the world. The fact that it contributes 10% to CO2. The fact that your many clothes are made from you know, oil, like the same industry that oil comes from. It pollutes more than the airline industry and all these other industries combined, fashion comes before then. So what is our role within that? And like, what is our impact? And I think what the CFDA did specifically is I understood that with my experience and I understood that by being on the ground and seeing communities, but what it did is it gave me the tools and the language to communicate in another way what we were seeing already. You know, and also thinking about where we came from, which is why I began like that, and designing for where we're going. Right. You know, like, what is the world gonna look like in 2050? Who am I designing for? What is it gonna look like in 2100? Mm -hmm. You know, I learned just like small facts that a t-shirt takes 2,700 liters of water to produce. That's two years of drinking water. You know, and to me it's important to think about that in real words because when you throw statistics, it doesn't mean anything, but if I have to ask myself or think, will my nephews have water one day? Yeah. What, yeah. You have that, to make it, it personal. It, it changes everything because yeah. it's, then you think, do I actually need that extra t-shirt? Well, it actually brings me to yeah. 
the collection and why you're doing it. It actually is a great segue into Cause Restore and the collection of just bringing the pieces <laughs> and doing this 800 collection. So can you actually explain to us, I think it'd be great for us to understand what... So why it's so good? Yes, why it's so good and, and why we're all here. <laughs> so yes, I'd love to. Um, so we created Cause Restore really to reinforce our commitment to quality and longevity and garment care. Those are sort of the cornerstones of, of how we create and we've always done that. Uh, so when we launched COS in 2007, I started there in 2006, but we talked about longevity and durability before it was even something that you talk about externally. Um, so with COS Restore then, we have taken 800 pieces that have been damaged through our own supply chain and together with our partners, the Renewal Workshop, uh, they have carefully mended them and restored them back to life. Uh, and by doing so, they have a lower impact on the environment. So it's also a 30% lower price towards our customers. Um, and the Renewal Workshop has uh, calculated the impact data. So we're not experts on the impact data, so we mm -hmm. partner up mm -hmm. and they're awesome. We wish they could be here today, yes. but they couldn't. Um, and what we have said, so only by 800 pieces, we've said, something like 4,000 baths of water, you know, just wow. to put that into perspective, wow. you know, which is amazing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and you can see it, I think, on the, on the sign by the, by the rails. But it's really exciting for us to explore this, and also it's a great way for us to test new circular business models, because at the end of the day, how do we go from being a pilot with two rails, which will be here for maybe two weeks, to a way of working, so that when you come back here, if this is your favorite store, I love this store, that you maybe always find it. Mm -hmm. So. It's great for us to come out and try this, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about it afterwards. Well, that's also good to know that it's a lower price point, yeah. um, because that's something we discussed on the call as well, that how do you buy into sustainability? How do you have product that's within your budget that you can afford if, that's, if you've got a family to feed, if you've got you know, a working job, um, or in school even? Um, Mary Genevieve, have you seen like a shift in culture to consumption um, do you like that question? <laughs> I mean, I'm America, I'm like, yeah, globally. Mm -hmm. um, globally, yeah, I think in general, I think we buy less stuff uh, a little bit, you know, hopefully it's going to continue. Um, but I think just thinking about the young generation, because that's what I'm surrounded um, at Parsons, they, they, they don't care that much about mass-produced goods, and they're really expecting brands to take risk and really rethink their values, and I think that's one of the biggest things that we see, like, in general. Um, but also, um, you know, their young, young students really want to look up to somebody, you know? So the more we're actually doing in the industry, the more they can actually look upon, and the more they can be inspired, and the more they kinda, that's going to empower them, I think, to kind of continue towards those kind of directions as well. And there are a lot of partnerships uh, at Parson that mm -hmm. we do, uh, with companies, but also organizations. And throughout the years, I think we've seen such a huge shift with our students, especially in terms of just designing, just creating other experiences for them. And for example, one of the biggest ones I think that impacted me as a teacher, then I saw the big, big impact on students was in 2016, when we partnered for the first time with UN and WTO, so the World Trade Organization. And they brought artisans, uh, from, you see, I even see Yes. <laughs> crazy. Uh, but that was just amazing. And we saw women uh, from all around the world, like from like Pakistan, Bangladesh, South America, that came to show their crafts. And they co-created a collection with our students. And it was incredible. Mm -hmm. And I think that changed a lot 
and that shifted as well the mindset completely at Parson for faculty and for students as well. I think listening to all your stories is, for me, when you do something, you see something in front of you, yeah. it changes your perspective. Your, your perception yeah. is like Bremer going to Africa and yeah. it when becomes you're in the personal. Room, when exactly. You're in the room exactly. With these people, like right away, it's like boom, you know, you have just like big slam. And I think for young students that impacted them, and, and many of them actually um, started their brands as well after that. And it's completely changed the way they actually do things, yeah. how they co create. And I think young, Generation, they really have to learn how to co-create and collaborate. We have to create collectives. We cannot live anymore in, or educate anymore mm -hmm. like this kind of super egocentric uh, design system. That is not working. You know? Can so. I add something to that? Yes, please do. I want to elaborate on what you just said. I think also it's not even necessarily that you have to be in the room. I think it's also knowing that you have impact. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's like being in the room, you immediately see the impact is like, I want to hug you, connection, I see you, know? you crying and I see you human and I just want to start hugging you. Because, exactly, because it's, an, but you don't necessarily have to be in the room. I think also just but removing some of the layers, you know, mm -hmm. like knowing that when I do something, there's an actual impact to my action. And it's not just this kind of random supply chain with random people doing random things. And every action I take has no impact. I feel like that's the that's the the bridge that I at least I'm very interested in. You know, Do you feel building. Nepal? I'm going to go ask Nepal a question that I actually wanted to ask last week that I'm interested in. Obviously, Cos's parent com com company is H&M. Do you find having a bigger company support kind of and have the resources that they have yeah. to help you reach your sustainable goals quicker or them? I mean, 100. Uh, percent I think that. Um, I'm super proud that COS belongs to H&M. Uh, it's one of the leading companies, it's one of the leading groups in the world when it comes to sustainable fashion. So there's no way we could do what we do without mm -hmm. that size and scale. And, and to use that size and scale for good, I think that's the most important thing. And for me, having worked in our supply chain, I spent two years in Bangladesh, um, a year in Turkey, and worked with our manufacturing and seeing how we actually on the spot work, uh, how many people that we have that are full-time out there ensuring that we have good practices. I mean, it, yeah, it's super important. And yes. it's, it makes it so much easier for us to do than what we're really good at, which is the quality, the longevity, the durability. So I think we're like this uh, big family because we have lots of brands. I'm sure you know the other ones as well. Yes. And then being part of this family enables all of us to have an affordable price to what we do, mm -hmm. but then to do it in our own way, because we're not the same. Yes. And, and of course, we're experts on quality and, and this timeless design, so we're really allowed to focus on that, and we can give it to you guys for an affordable price. What made you guys want to do restoration? Like, what, how did I this mean, I can say like this, collection evolve? The, the Restore Project is one of loads of things happening. So we've been working behind the scenes for quite, a, quite some time now. Um, we are doing a lot of uh, testings on circular business models, because we want to learn more we want to find out what you guys think. Uh, so in November, we launched a rental pilot with White Closet in China. I'm not sure if you heard about White Closet. They're a fashion tech startup and already have 100 million subscribers. Boom, just like that. Um, so we're doing a three-month pilot with that and getting loads of data and learnings. Um, we have a couple of more pilots coming this spring. I'm not sure what I can say, but I'm looking at my project manager here. <laughs> but uh, we have, uh, we're launching a platform very soon for uh, vintage costs uh, from peer to peer. 
which is coming. So cost mm -hmm. resale is coming. So that will be great for us to learn. Mm -hmm. How does that work? I mean, we know we're proud of our vintage garments, yes. but can we also get our customers to, to connect? Um, yeah, and we have loads of capsule collections coming up with specific, even lower waist uh, kind of collections. And um, yeah, loads of things happening. What do you, and this is a question I'm going to kind of just chuck out to you three and feel free whoever to jump in. I'm going to actually start with you because you're looking straight at me. What do you think, I mean, you're a big company, you have resources, you have the manpower, the budgets, but what do you find are some of the roadblocks that are quite common to try and get to where you want to get with sustainability? So I think what we try to do is to systematically change the way we work, right? And I'm lucky that I work with sustainability.cost because I don't have to change who we are mm -hmm. and I don't have to change our creative process. So that's awesome because that's very sustainable yes. to start with. But we're looking at kind of maybe the boring sides that maybe isn't so sexy to talk about, but how do we buy, how do we sell, you know, all of these kind mm -hmm. of behind the scenes. And we're trying to make them slightly better. Right. And what me and my team are trying to do is we don't need to grow. I mean, when I got this job in 2015, me and uh, the MD for course, we said, if this goes well, I won't be needing to do this. Yeah. And I actually love that because the sustainability team at cost doesn't need to grow. We just need to get it into the way of working of all our teams. So if you're a content manager, then you cover uh, sustainability. If you're a buyer, you buy sustain uh, sustainable products. Mm -hmm. And so we're systematically trying to get to where we're not needed. Yes, yes. And I think that's the challenge to get everybody on board because we're all busy and we're working mm -hmm. and you have a way of working so it's kind of we're infiltrating we're right. campaigning and then we're showing with all these pilots things that are working yes. and then boom there we go Abrima, what do you think is one of the roadblocks keep it short because <laughs> <laughs> i know that we could go on hours you and i about roadblocks <laughs> uh what you know i think um, the narrative, you know, mm, I think mm. re-educating re the customer, both the individual consumer, but also wholesale clients like stores for a brand like ours. You know, I think that on our side, there's one, because we're, in Af we're made in Ghana and made in Africa, there's a lot of uh, preconceived notions a lot of times of what that is supposed to be. People think it's supposed to be very, very cheap. Um, they have ideas of what Made in Africa is supposed to look like and kind of changing that mindset. And then, um, you know, people just, they used to getting things really cheap, you know, and so I, I think understanding how it's made, how quickly you can get it, you know, that sometimes people want something made by hand, but then they'll want it tomorrow. <laughs> they won't understand why it's impossible, you know, and, and then you're kind of trying to make it possible for everyone but then you have to then say, well, if I'm doing that, then am I even being ethical? Like, what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. You know, I think it requires you rethinking how you're working right. so that you keep to your ideals and your principles. And then sometimes you win some, you lose some. Mm -hmm. You know, like some customers get it. Some people, you know, I don't use packaging. I don't use a lot of packaging. I don't do all that stuff. Like those kind of, we don't do those things. Yeah, it's yeah. more about the experience, but it's not about all that stuff. But people are used to it. They're yes, used to getting yeah. cheap. You know, I watched a comedy show that day about Amazon Prime yesterday. Give it to me yesterday. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there's just that mentality, and that's not what we're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so that's a big thing. And then when it comes to working also with stores, it's also the same. You know, a lot of times they'll want to work with a small brand or a sustainable brand or these kinds of things, 
but then they'll, you know, they'll give you very little time to produce the items, and then they'll keep negotiating the price really low to the point where are you actually doing what you set out to right, do? Right. Right. So. Well, transparency, you know. I think, is such a key word these days yeah. that you know customers want to know. Is what you were saying actually? Paul was saying to us earlier about don't be afraid to buy in Bangladesh. No but know what you're buying and where it's coming from and just being a bit more educated or interested in, instead of just getting a garment quickly. But just and to, have that dialogue with yes. the brands that you love. Find yeah, out yeah. more, contact them and you know, have that conversation. Don't be scared of it. But just to land, you know, I, I think that people mean well though. I think everybody wants to participate. I think the customer means well. That's why I said re-education. I just think sometimes people have no idea mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how much it's like with the food industry. Like I yeah. have no idea. So it's really getting, because once that dialogue begins, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, like people get it and they're like with you, but it's that was getting to that. Completely yeah. talking. I mean, I honestly, I've been a, a really loyal cost customer for many, many years because I like how the f I've got a coat that I turned up in today. It's maybe seven years old. Um, looks brand new. And then I realized, because Nepal was saying on the call, it's the fiber that they use that doesn't wear out. So I can use this time and time again. And then she was saying to educate the customer about taking care of your garments, the washing of that. And can you repeat again what yeah, you said? I mean, we create the garments for you to love them, for you to care for them, and then to keep them, right? And if we can have that conversation with you and, and, and inspire you of, of how to do that, uh, how to do garment care. And if you would ask me what's the one advice, I would say don't wash. Just stop washing and wash less. Your clothes, she means. Yes, not your clothes. clothes. <laughs> your clothes. Um, I think it's really, really important to know that when you wash something, they're slightly closer to death, right? Because you ruin them and they get like all mixed up and they don't want that. They want to be resting. So when you wash them, just do it on the gentle cycle so they get that gentle little massage, not the big spin things, because no garments like that. Um, and learn how to mend. There's loads of YouTube videos, how to fix it, fix your buttons, fix the broken hems. I think that's such a mm -hmm, big mm -hmm. knowledge that has been lost. You know, my mom would uh, uh, fix stuff, but I maybe haven't learned how to do it. You know, so it's up to us no to do it. No one has time nowadays. <laughs> so or get a really good tailor and cycle. get them to do that. Yeah. I, I brought my favorite, um, vintage cost garment and I bought this one before I had my two boys so it's been like with me for two pregnancies it's like 12 years old I never washed this one but it travels with me everywhere it's an Italian wool I just spot clean it if I need to definitely don't go to the playground with it yes, yes. but the cut the color like who knew to buy these short sleeve things 12 mm -hmm. years ago I was almost a bit scared of it yeah I'm so glad I bought it and it's lasted. It lasted, and hopefully, maybe one it's of my son's girlfriends in the future will want it, unless they <laughs> want yeah, to wear yeah. it. Oh my yeah. gosh. Um, so I think we're gonna wrap it up, because honestly, us four could go on forever. Oh, can I just oh, say something? Yes, please do. So, hmm. on top of that beautiful magazine, you have a oh, bag, yes. and I just want to um, big that one up, because we spent a lot of time on this one. So this bag is, a couple of years ago, we did a pilot we call Cost Repurpose. Now, this is not a pilot anymore. This is one of the things that's gone on scale. So we take oh. our waste, so it's from our pre-production waste, so the garments that you see here, some of those waste from like the poplin shirts in Turkey, we have saved those, and then we have mashed them up, and we have mixed them up with some new cotton, and we have repurposed them into this. And to get this bag, as nice as it is, we have worked so hard it's with beautiful. our manufacturers. It's a 50% cotton 
uh, recycled a share from our own waste. And everybody in the head office really wants those, and they're coming up to us all the time. Can we have one? We're like, no, 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 that's for our special customers. So Aww. take care of it. And you can put your special magazine in the bag, so yes. that's really handy. It's like a win-win. It's a win-win. Um, we have um, time for a Q&A questions. If anyone wants to ask any of us anything, sort of anything. Um, anyone got a question? Any brave cells? Anyone got a question? Oh my god, I feel like an auctioneer. Because we'll just carry on otherwise. Please. We have a microphone. We're going to give you a microphone. Just maybe say your name. Uh, Jen. Hello, Jen. Um, hi. Um, so I guess this is kind of for all of you, but speaking about um, kind of customer, like the narrative and reapproaching that, how do you go about, um, I guess, fighting that? Uh, this like notion that customers have of it's not efficient or um, that you can't, like the regular person who's working a lot of jobs and can't put food on the table, how do you purchase sustainably? How, um, like, I guess, what are you doing to combat that? Or like, what would you say to somebody who has that argument? And I guess also accessibility, like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not only the price, but the accessibility of the market and yeah, re-education of that. I think that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, it's a great actually. question. We, we get quite a lot of students emailing us and asking about, you know, how do you connect sustainability and price? And uh, at cost, at least, a sustainable product shouldn't cost you more than our normal products. It's our products. And for us, it's super important to be affordable because we don't want sustainability or a timeless design to be for the selected few. It should be for everyone. And I'm, obviously I know maybe it's not for everyone that they can afford to come into cost, but we try to be as affordable as we can, um, which is really important. Can I also add? Yes, yes. yes. No, no, I was just going to say yeah. because uh, all three of you can answer. the big challenge, because yes. the last question you asked, uh, I was going to say as well the financial part as well, because that's related to access of education mm -hmm. in general. And that's something I've been thinking a lot about, because I give workshops in different parts of the world with different socioeconomic backgrounds as well. And I talk about the young generation and how important it's important to educate them as well. So not just customer, but audiences that I say all the time, you know what I mean? Because people are experiencing a brand in different ways, even if they're not buying the products as well sometimes. So accessibility in terms of education as well, like in general, like how do you spread the message or start earlier? You know what I mean? How can we only create sustainable strategy courses in elementary school, you know, or kindergarten? I don't know, but this is something I've been thinking a lot about. So that I think it's kind of gonna help in the future perhaps. I also think um, one, and I know this might be controversial, but buy less, you know, like buy less, but buy good things. So I think yeah. that the restore thing great. is really great. Like find projects that you really love. And instead of having lots of stuff, you know, people are buying like 60% more stuff than they were a few years ago. Just buy things that you love that are going to take you 12, you know, keep for 12 years like your coat. Or longer. You, you know, like, or vintage. Like, if you don't want to put a lot of money, I mean, I, I buy a lot of vintage. Like, buy vintage. Vintage is great. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, and also, like, rental, um, rental subscription things. But, like, I think fundamentally, just even thinking about investing in quality and also some brands that might appear expensive, if they are really into, like, I, the best part, I think, about this type of thing right now, like, even the fact that everyone's sitting here and it's raining and they showed up, 
is that people show up. Yeah. You know, their yeah. hearts are all in the right place. At least right now, this community is incredible. So like, if people write to me, I've got people who say, I'm a teacher, I've been following your brand for five years, I don't have the money for this. And then you'll say, I'll say like, oh, what, what do you got? <laughs> what do you want to do? You know, and like, they, sometimes people will say, I have, you know, I can give you $50 for the next blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, we find a solution. I think people are willing to work with people or do things, so. I feel like this is a great community for exchange. I also think, actually, to your question, yeah. um, it would be nice to have, like, you've got the collection over there on the board with the facts. It would be nice to see the facts a bit more. That's why I think you're going with this, on the labeling, mm -hmm. so that if you go to a store, I mean, I, you're young, so you probably want to go out, and the youngsters want to, you know, be trendy. They see, you know, fashions and to keep up with that. So that if they go into stores, that they can afford, they want to have the education on the label saying, okay, if this was made in Turkey, China, India, wherever, this is the factory that it was made in. So I think that would be such a great step for stores to actually just put some of the facts. And it's actually coming. I'm not sure if any of you have heard about the Hig Index. Um, so there's a global coalition with 40% of all the world's fashion brands who've come together. Uh, and it's the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, so mm -hmm. SAC. Um, and the Hig index, Hig index will be the first customer-facing uh, label or systematic points mm -hmm. system that will take a white t-shirt and you will go to one brand, say brand A, and they will say, oh, this is 50 out of 100 in the Hig index. How sustainable is it? Right, then right. you can go to brand B and say, oh, that white t-shirt there is 75. Do you want to spend my money there instead? Mm -hmm. So all of these brands have together come together to say, how can we work with this? And mm -hmm. I think we're about two years from this to be customer facing. And until then, all the brands, of course, do it in their own way. If it's through a board right, right. or if it's online or however we show that transparency story. But I think the Higginix, once it's out and we're used to it, mm -hmm. we will talk about it slightly differently. Right, right. And we'll come back for another panel, yes, I think, for that one. I think so. Mm -hmm. Anyone else have a question? Yes, the lady here. Uh, good evening, my good evening. name is Frederick. Uh, I have a question on the restore program. Um, I understand that clothes that are dis discontinued, I mean, uh, defective from the production chain that you are putting, that you are restoring. Would you consider opening the program to uh, your customers that have clothes that they want to discard? And since landfills is one of the major problems yeah. for fashion, um, I understand, I mean, your fabrics are great and great customers of yours, but sometimes I had discarded cross yes. clothes. So would you accept, would you consider a program to take it back? Absolutely, so what I would say, when we started looking into sustainability, the garment collecting wasn't number one because we actually didn't want you to put them, you know, to not, to not love them. But knowing how that's, it's a service to our customers and uh, it's something that we, now that we have now that we have a way of systematically working with it, and we can kind of create these loops where waste or discarded items kind of somehow comes back in again. So now we're ready to do that. And hopefully, very, very soon, that will come. And I'm hoping that we start in, um, in the US for that. We're looking at the team here. Thumbs but up. Absolutely. So that's a yes, yes. coming soon. But also what we have done, for example, in Korea, we have our own in-house tailor. So uh, that was something we launched in the beginning of last year so that our customers can come. A, you can get that suit perfectly fitted, but also you could come back if something happened to it and you can get like a repair done to it. 
So there's, there's right. loads of ways that we can interact uh, when, when the garments are no longer wanted in your wardrobe. Great. Does anybody else have a question for us before we let you all jump on the collection? No? Okay. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening and tuning in to that interesting live moderated panel discussion with Cos. Um, our next podcast is going to be somewhat of a surprise, so I'm not going to say who it is and I'm going to just leave you guys dangling. Hopefully you'll come back. If you want to follow us or if you want to look at our website, our website is missionmag.org and our Instagram is at missionmagazine. Thank you for listening and we'll see you guys again soon. Take care. Bye bye.